What's up, Jets fans, and welcome to episode six of Jet Nation Live. We are your hosts, Dylan Terman and Glenn Naughton. Um, if you can hear my voice, it's not 100% still on a Thursday. Um, I lost my voice in the first quarter of that win because we squished the fish 40-7. to The Jets came into MetLife. The Dolphins fans thought they were going to take it over. They were all on Twitter saying, let's take over the stadium, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, I was I was nervous at first. The stadium looked a little empty during the, the national anthem and during intros. And I put a video on Twitter. I was like, "There's a lot of teal and orange in this off in this uh, stadium." As soon as kickoff happened, it was just a, a flood of green getting to their seats, and it was a great time from start to finish. Everything happened in our end zone, for, starting from the sauce safety that you see in the background of our video. Glenn, how how are we doing? Three and two, big big win in the division, first win in three years. It's got to feel good, right? Listen, you can't, you can't not feel great about it. Um, and as you said, you know, the, uh, I've, and I said it the other day, I've, I've probably enjoyed the, the complaining of the Miami fans as much as I enjoyed the win itself. It really has been, I mean, it's still today. What is it? Thursday? Mm-hmm. I mean, they got a game in two days and they're still talking about the Jets. Amazing. Um, it's, it's fantastic. The excuses are, are amazing. Um, and listen, that obviously there is some, some merit to, you know, mm-hmm. would they, would it have been a better game for them if Teddy was under center? Probably, you know, mm-hmm. but but I don't I don't know when Teddy Bridgewater became Patrick Mahomes. You know what I mean? It's like right. it's like this foregone conclusion that oh well, if we had Teddy, you know, what well, what maybe more. Listen, you know, as I said, Tyreek Hill had some catches. It's not mm-hmm. like they didn't get the ball to him. The Jets secondary just clamped down on him. He had seven grabs, for you sure. know, and he averaged he averaged like six, seven, eight right. a, a, a catch. So you know, I don't I don't get this. I mean, I understand they're angry, and I think, you know, I think a lot of fans are going to be angry this year after they play the Jets. Absolutely. Because they're used to the media telling them how bad the Jets are and how bad the Jets are going to be, and they circle it as a win on their calendar. And mm-hmm. they're, they're better than a lot of people expected. Even, you know, we, we still have, you know, obviously some tougher opponents coming up. But even, you know, even just the way they've played thus far, I mean, I think we said, I'm I, going off memory here, but – I'm sure we had a show or I may have an article, something where we talked about how much better certain position groups were. You know, and I think that yeah. kind of started with corner and tight end. Um, and we're seeing it play out this season. All the tight ends didn't have a huge impact this weekend. But the corners, from mm-hmm. what they had last year to what they have this year, that alone is going to keep them in games. And that's what we're seeing. And, again, fans aren't liking it. I actually, for the first time in years, had someone approach a Dolphins fan walk up to me like – you know, and we ended up having a nice conversation, but it started up with him just coming up to me and, you know, he, I, I don't know the guy. I was at my kid's jujitsu lesson, you know, and this guy, this guy I'd never met before walks up to me and he just goes, our third string quarterback, that's why you won. And I was like, scored 40, you know, yeah. we, we didn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a 12, seven game where you're like, oh man, we would have won if we had Teddy, he gave up 40. So feeling good, but listen, it, at the end of the day, they did. They did. Uh, they didn't face Aaron Rodgers. They'll do that this weekend, and we'll see how mm-hmm. that goes. Yeah, yeah. I think the um, not the tip of the iceberg, but the the best part of the whole Dolphins spiraling out of control from one loss to the Jets, I think, is this. Um, it's probably much to do about nothing, but this ping pong table situation in their locker room. They removed a ping pong table, and I think I've seen four articles at least in the past 48 hours about Tyreek Hill and his answer on the ping pong table. So if that's what you're doing when you're 3-0, and 
I'm sorry, you aren't cut out for it, and now no, you're three and two because of it. We've I heard your I heard your recap the other day, uh, Monday morning. The Jets have had this excuse so many times, or could have had this excuse of a third string quarterback, or we mm-hmm. have 19 guys on the injured reserve list. Whatever you can go down the list of excuses you want to make, referees, whatever, bad coaching. I don't care. The Dolphins just weren't the better team, and I tweeted that out. It's just Dolphins fans need to stop, get over it. Look at your next game in two days and stop worrying about this damn ping pong table and the Jets because if the Jets are putting this much into your head, we don't play you again until week 17. So it's going to be a long season for them coming out of it. All right, let's let's get into the topics. We'll get into a full Dolphins recap. We're going to talk about injuries. We have a couple of them that are noteworthy. Um, we're going to talk about the Packers, obviously. You, you teased it there. We will be playing Aaron Rodgers this week, our best quarterback opponent, so far this year, obviously, Lamar Jackson is a great quarterback, and Joe Burrow is an ascending talent, but Aaron Rodgers is the best guy. So we're going to get into the Packers, and then, of course, we're going to talk about our NFL draft talk at the, end of the, at the end of the pod here, if we fit in the time. So right off the bat, Dolphins beat down. Like I mentioned before, I was there. Everything happened in our end zone. First play on defense, Sauce Gardner hits Teddy Bridgewater right in the elbow. It's our background for tonight. And the crowd just erupted. And from there, I don't think many people in my in my section sat down because that's how exciting it was. From start to finish, there was a lull for like the beginning of the third quarter, end of the second quarter. But for the first quarter and the fourth quarter, we were standing on every single – maybe first down, we sat down. Then second, second down, we all stood up and just were banging on the seats. It was amazing. I think – Game plan wise, and obviously I haven't watched the full recap because I was there, so it's a lot different looking at it in person as opposed to on TV. I think Mm -hmm. it was their best game plan. They utilized both their running backs, Brees Hall, Michael Carter. Brees Hall had a phenomenal day. If it wasn't for Sauce Gardner having an absolute better day, you could say he probably would have got the second Pepsi Zero Sugar Rookie of the Week belt. But it comes back to Forum Park anyway in Sauce Gardner's uh, around Sauce Gardner's waist this time, but. How did you feel about Brees Hall and Michael Carter and the way that they used these two? Because I saw a lot of 22, 21 personnel, and they were really getting after it with these RP, like RPO swings with Brees Hall, but they would just hand it to Michael. And then they had Brees Hall go on the wheel route, and you saw what happened, wide open man-to-man, 80 yards. So how did you feel about the wide receivers, and is this something we need to see moving forward? I mean, I loved it, obviously, because of the success, but I liked it. We said – I haven't looked at the numbers, but I've, I feel like we saw a lot more outside stuff this week. You know, mm-hmm. in previous weeks, it felt like they were almost exclusively up the middle and kind of giving defenses a little bit less to think about. Um, I liked seeing them them both utilized. I liked that they they changed it up in terms of uh, getting out outside the tackles. Mm-hmm. I like that we saw Michael Carter, uh, you know, out there throwing some blocks on some runs and kind of use him in that role. He, he's not the biggest guy, but the guy gets after it. Um, and, you know, in the passing game, the the screen I, I mentioned in the post game the you know the, the screen and swing game was was much better than it's been um, this year and kind of back back to what was late 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 last year it had come along or you know early on Zach had those struggles that had all of us a little bit worried but he's you know there was no issues with that this week so using those two guys and and listen you know we've talked about how um you know because of the the amount of talent this team has now that different guys are going to flash every week because mm-hmm. and but we didn't really go into a, how that'll happen on a, a we've we always talk about how the, the the backs can catch the ball out of the backfield but we hadn't really talked about weeks where they might be the featured receivers and they might be the guys putting up the biggest numbers 
So it's just one more thing for defenses to think about that you have to love. Um, you can go in, you know, now when you're playing uh, Zach Wilson and the Jets, you, you got to think twice before you say, well, let's just let's just bring the house and, and blitz the hell out of them. OK, well, that's fine. But then you're going to have Brees Hall, you know, on the outside, possibly getting a mismatch. And if, if you have an extra defender or two in the backfield while he's going in the opposite direction, um, just a shame. I mean, they won the game. That's that's what matters, really. But I mean, the guy literally was two yards away from a three touchdown day, mm-hmm. you know, taking down the one yard line twice. Um, so that was a little bit of a shame. But just I, I, I love the way they both got involved. I love the way Zach looked in the short passing game. And I loved watching Brees Hall drag Miami defenders that, you know, down toward the end zone. Yeah, I want to piggyback off that because he ended with 18 carries for 97 yards on the ground. And 18 carries is his biggest workload of the season. But I was like, you couldn't just fit in one more run for three yards. You know he's going to get it. So just to put that 100-yard rushing, 100-yard receiving game for Brees mm-hmm. Hall. But the, the the snap count was interesting. He had 41 snaps, which was 69.5%. And Michael Carter only had 25. So 16 snaps more than Michael Carter. And like we talked about the last two weeks, I think this has become a trend now where Brees Hall is slowly going to get more and more. I didn't expect it to be quite 70-30. I didn't think Brees Hall would get that much. But at this rate, Brees Hall looks like the best rookie running back outside of maybe Damian Pierce. So just keep feeding him. Every time he touched the ball in the stadium, everybody went Brees. And it was just – it vibrated the whole stadium. It was a great feeling. So to have rookie playmakers, and that's something that Sala and LaFleur have talked about all summer long having mm-hmm. playmakers that can get you one to two yard drives on or one to two play drives, excuse me, on offense, get off the field quickly, 70 yards, 80 yards down the field. Brees Hall is that guy. We saw it. Finally, he got down to the one. It's really unfortunate, but that's going to be every week. Michael Carter's yeah. going to get down to the one and Brees Hall will pound it in. So I love the backfield duo. I think it's going to be the the foundation of this offense. As long as Zach Wilson, like we said, eliminate, 55 dropbacks a game. He had 26 or something like that, according to PFF, with 21 passes. That is a good game plan for success. So all around, I'm happy with the backfield. Zach Wilson's day, 14 of 21, 212 yards. He didn't have any passing touchdowns, but he did have the rushing touchdown. And quite frankly, it was impressive. He had just his instincts took over. The pocket was collapsing on him from the left and from the front. He just took off out of the right and dove for the end zone. I was a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Being at the stadium, I was very nervous. Every time he got hit, there Mm -hmm. was one play he had to get scraped up off the field by his offensive lineman, but he came back and scored the rushing touchdown. What were your overall thoughts of Zach Wilson? We saw way more RPO like we did last week and we talked about, and I think that is another key to success in this offense. But what did you think about Zach Wilson overall in his second game back? I mean, look, you know, the, the bog, he didn't put up huge numbers. They didn't they didn't ask him to. They you know, as you said, game plan was was run heavy. And the the biggest thing to me, as I said, was the the accuracy on the short stuff. And I think the he sort of, you know, he has to the, you've got to see him bring his game to another level to where they can consistently ask him to throw the ball down the field, but not make that uh, obviously, again, as you said, and I think we we said a little bit this offseason is that with the weapons they have, they should be able to lean on the run game. And then if it's not working, then, then you turn it over to Zach Wilson. Um, so I was really happy with his performance. I think the number one thing is the, uh, is the no interceptions. And, you know, we've seen that, you know, his last sort of eight, nine NFL games, he's only thrown a couple of picks. 
So he's done a really nice job protecting the ball. And that really, it, it's the number one job of the quarterback. As much as you want to talk about, you know, scoring is the is the objective. You, you just have to protect the ball. So it's, you know, as long as he's doing that and the offense is still humming, I don't, you know, he can not, if, if he doesn't throw another touchdown pass this season, I don't care if they keep winning, um, you know, but, uh, it, you know, in all reality, it's it, the numbers are going to come. The stats will be there. I was a little surprised we didn't see some shots down the field just because, you know, when, once you hear Xavier and Howard's out, you figure, okay, this team's going to be able to create some mismatches and make some plays down the field today. And they didn't even really try. I think I, off the top of my head, I think the deepest completion of the day was the the 21-22 yarder to Corey Davis late in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how long the uh, – and I was going to discuss this one. The I don't know how or when it, – it's only frustrating because Sauce was called forward early in the game, the DPI, where Sauce, they said he didn't turn around to locate the ball. The, the it was a hundred times worse later in the game when when Wilson threw one pass downfield to Tyler Conklin, and the Dolphins Thank linebacker you. had his face in Tyler Conklin's chest. I it, the, the the broadcasters are literally joking about the fact the ball bounced off the back of the guy's head, and I'm like, why isn't that a flag? I, I don't get it, and I, I'm not saying this to be hyperbolic. I said a year or two ago, probably longer than that. I just assumed that that was no longer a penalty. You just don't see it called in the NFL, right? Like I've seen for every time I've seen that called, like not turning around to locate the ball, I've seen it not called a hundred times. So I, I literally go through stretches where I forget it's a rule or I forget mm-hmm. it's still a rule because it just doesn't get called. Called earlier in the game on the Jets, and then you see it happen to them and no call, and the, you know, everyone's yucking it up in the broadcast booth. And I'm just I'm trying to figure out like it was it was funny because I was actually because the game was local, because you asked this question earlier in the season. Um, and I said I wasn't sure because the game was on local TV. It wasn't. I couldn't watch on NFL.com. So I had I went to a sports bar uh, at actually up at the base here uh, near the or on the base that I live near. And so it's all Americans in the bars. And uh, the guy sitting at the table next to me, he wasn't a, he was just a football fan. He wasn't a Jets fan, mm-hmm. um, but he was watching it. And he, he commented to me a couple times during the game. And on that play, he looked at me and he was like, wasn't that worse than the one earlier when they called your guy for it? And I was like, yeah, sure as hell was, um, but no call. You know, again, I don't understand it. But, yeah, getting back to Zach, not as many deep shots as I expected, but he, he managed the game the way they asked him to, and he, he protected the football. Yeah, that was an absolutely egregious no call by the refs, considering how many they were calling on the defense. And mm-hmm. We'll get into the, the defensive pass interferences for the Jets, but um, Zach Wilson's longest targets, he had five passes of 15 yards or more he went two for five and that obvious one to Tyler Conklin that we talked about that was 40 yards um obvious face guarding by the linebacker there um but that play in general was a great play Zach Wilson it was a a play action somebody came free off the backside I think it was Melvin Ingram Zach Wilson did like a little pump fake got Melvin a little stumbly stepped back did his point and yep. launched it. it was 53 yards in the air and he was it really even... see I, i'm playing in my head and i'm trying to think was that as deep as i thought it was like i yeah, don't want to so next gen stats has it landing at 40 yards past the line of scrimmage but he backpedaled for 10 to right. 12 yards first right. so yeah it was about 53 yards air so he just flicked that thing and yeah it was obviously pass interference but i i like that from zach wilson the other thing i did like from zach wilson and i wanted to mention it a little bit last week but i wanted to see it more his top half and his bottom half when he drops back to throw are finally in sync. 
That's something that I watched last year. His feet would be pointed one way and he's trying to throw the other way. Now, right. finally, he's doing both in unison. And I think on those short swing passes that we saw last week, his fundamentals got away from him a little bit. But in this game against the Dolphins, he was dropping back top half, bottom half mirrored. Everything looked good. His feet were in the right place. And I've only gotten through the first half, so I haven't seen everything. But for a second straight week, Corey Davis is routing up DBs. I watched the end of the Pittsburgh one last weekend and the start of the Miami game this week. And Corey Davis looks absolutely phenomenal. I know none of the wide receivers or tight ends got big action in this game. I think mm -hmm. uh, Garrett Wilson had three catches for 27 yards, all that went for first down. So I think that's probably like the best day considering he moved the, moved the sticks on every single catch that he had. But that's, this is what we've talked about. Somebody's going to have the hot hand in the game and it's all about feeding them. And Mike LaFleur did. The running backs were the ones this week. Who knows what it's going to be in the weeks coming up, but this formula worked on offense. Um, another thing that worked on offense, and I think it's going to work no matter where you put him on the offensive line, and that's Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, he played yeah. right tackle this week. Now his third position this season on the offensive line. Zero pressure, zero sacks, according to PFF. He's just a stud. There's nothing he can't do. The Jets – Twitter and Instagram team called him Elijah versatile Tucker. And I thought that was very fitting. So Elijah Vera Tucker is my favorite for team MVP right now, five games into the season. I'm not oh, sure. God, any, maybe, maybe if um, sauce Gardner continues to ball out, maybe like this, sauce, but, yeah. but, but, but right AVT, AVT is that guy. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on AVT before we move into the defense and the offensive line as a whole, because it was another great performance from them. Zach Wilson wasn't running for his life. Zero sacks allowed. I think they they gave the sack to the running back in pass protection. So all around good game from everybody on the offensive line. What were your thoughts, including AVT? Yeah, I mean, listen, he was the, the AVT is fantastic right now. You're seeing um, a lot of, you know, the sort of the, the usual offensive linemen, you know, even Duke Manyweather jumped in, the, these O-line guys on Twitter just saying they can't believe what he's doing. Um I actually, I'll, I'm going to try to put this out tonight or tomorrow. Um, I interviewed former Jets offensive lineman Jason Fabini this morning. Yes. Um, to talk to him a little bit about it because he was he was kind of the first person that came. I was trying, you know, as ABT is doing this, I'm thinking, who's the last Jets lineman? You know, nobody nobody is doing what ABT did, but I was just thinking, who's the last Jets lineman to to switch tackle positions to play really well in both spots, like mm -hmm. for an extended period? Um, and Fabini, you know, Jason Fabini was drafted back in uh in what, 98 uh, by Bill Parcells, started a right tackle his first two seasons. And Bill Parcells notoriously didn't like rookies, um, didn't like starting them because they tend to make a lot of mistakes. Um, but Parcells, Fabini was their starter from day one, played right tackle for two years, then moved to left tackle for his next sort of five, six, seven years with the Jets before leaving in free agency eventually. And, um, and, and he then moved to guard when he went uh, with the Washington Redskins. So he played them all. And, you know, of course he, Everyone you talk to, but it, it's it's better. It, you know, it's it, you like hearing it from the former offensive linemen who say you just can't really explain how good you know what this or how impressive Elijah Vera Tucker is right now. And it's you know it, it kind of it, it reinforces the point that I made after he made the fir the first switch, which was the, this the, the thought of moving alignment in season. And and I know not everyone's capable of it, but I think people need to be a little more uh, open to that. You know, it, 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 again, maybe maybe not left tackle to right tackle to guard. You know, not three times in three weeks for God's sakes, but 
Um, you know, the, the thing that comes to mind for me, and, you know, people can not like it all they want. I really don't care because, it, you know, it made sense at the time. You know, back when we thought Makai Becton was going to be coming back last season, I remember saying, you know, I wouldn't mind because because of how bad Greg Van Roten is and because Makai Becton played right tackle in college, so he had played the right side. I thought I would try to work Becton in at right guard and, and, and bench Van Roten. And Twitter went crazy. You can't do that. You're a casual. You don't switch guys in season. Ha ha. You clearly have no idea. I'm like, God, it can be done. Like players have done it. Sure. It's not, you don't want to do it, but desperate times, desperate measures. And of course, it was desperate because Van Roten was that bad. And uh, yeah, people were going nuts, tell, screaming at me that you can't switch a guy in season. And I'm like, he's played the left side before, or the right. He's played both sides, both tackle mm-hmm. spots. And, um, to me, while the responsibilities are different, it's tougher to handle the tackle spot because you don't have that help on the outside. You know, sometimes you do, but generally speaking, you don't have that help that you have at guard. So I, I'd rather see a guy move from tackle to guard than guard to tackle. That's for damn sure. Um, and, you know, but and just people were going nuts. And I'm like, I don't, you know, th- again, they, they were desperate. The guard situation was a joke. And I would bet any position on the O-line from left tackle to right tackle and everywhere in between – I would take Makai Becton over Greg Van Roten every time. If he, I don't care if I don't care if Makai Becton would need directions to where right guard is. I would still prefer her, him over Greg Van Roten because I think a a, a clueless Makai Becton would be even you know even if it was only a little bit better would be a better option than Van, Roten, especially right off the bat. Um, so again, it's it can be done, folks, and we're seeing it now. Um, it's not easy, but it's it's not it's not Mission Impossible. Yeah, I agree. It has to be, for me personally, it has to be like an emergency situation, like what the Jets are dealing with. But to say that it's impossible, it's just a farce because even someone as old as Jason Peters on the Cowboys now, I think he's injured currently, but he played snaps at left guard this, this season next to Tyler Smith, their rookie, and he looked very good. So I think for Elijah Vera Tucker, you obviously have to be confident in your ability to go learn a new pass set or, you know, the opposite motion of now your right foot's back as opposed to your left foot or what have you. But I also think you have to be aware of yourself and how vulnerable you're making yourself that if you don't look at this position, it could cost you a lot of money down the line. Now, obviously, Elijah Vera Tucker has smashed the glass ceiling, so to speak, of every position at this point, except for center. But what if he didn't look great at left tackle or right tackle? He was really putting himself out there as a young player who hasn't gotten paid yet to say, mm-hmm. well, now here's a reason to not pay me. So I think you have to have a lot of a lot of balls, honestly, as an offensive lineman, especially a young one. And I loved his mic'd up because it was like another day. I'm not going to take it for granted. Another day to get better. So like he's not going to take any of these opportunities for granted, even if they did throw him at center. I think he could obviously handle it, but. Is this where is he going this week? If there's no tackles coming back from injury, so he's got to be at right tackle at least one more week, right? I would think that they keep this lineup going as long as it plays well, mm-hmm. um, because it, you know, as, as they say, right, play your best five. Yeah. Um, which I think is exactly what I said with with the Beckton thing when when the offensive line was a disaster. I thought get your best five guys out there, and, and you know, I was doing the math, and I'm saying, well, who's your worst guy? Get your worst guy off the field. And, uh, and replace him. This is when Fant was playing well at left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I say stick with this lineup as currently constructed. And uh, if for some reason it, it, it doesn't work out moving forward, then you make some changes. 
but there's no reason not to. And how about I was I was glad to see today because I planned on saying really the same exact thing. Um, and um, Mike Lafleur stole my thunder a little bit today with the uh, with his comments on Dwayne Brown. I mean, for that guy to come back, at, he's 37 years old. The Jets handed him nine and a half million dollars, mm-hmm. and he could have legitimately just had season-ending surgery and said, "Sorry, guys, yep, I'm out. Take care. Got my nine mil." He's a, he hasn't been a, a jet for 10 years. He doesn't know people in that building to that. You know, he could have just been like, this is a chance to actually just walk out. And I, as a lot of guys, it would have. There's a lot of guys. For sure. That, hey, dude, you're 37. They just put $9 million in your account. Call it a career. And, yeah. and, and he didn't. And, you know, listen, I don't know Dwayne Brown well, but I his first presser with the team um, – you know, I, I I'm not a big fan of pressers because guys really it really is a lot of it's fluff. Yeah, you know, sure. a lot of it's coach speak. And you, yeah, there's really so little you can take from it, mm-hmm. whether it's a player or a coach. But and I forget his exact words. But when Dwayne Brown was signed, it was very sort of businesslike, and I think he almost kind of said, and, and I'm, I'm one million percent paraphrasing here because I forget the exact quote, but the the tone of it was, I, I don't really want to talk a lot because it's. None of that matters. I have to play. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what I'm going to do. Just get me the pads, and I'll go play, and you can decide for yourselves. It was like that type of comment. Um, and in an era where guys just seem to love to hear themselves talk, um, it, I was like, wow, I, I like this guy's demeanor. I like that he, you know, he's a a 37 year old vet who understands that, you know, talk doesn't matter. It's it's about what you do on Sundays. And I, the fact that that dude came back, man, I, like I said, I, I read the quote today. I think some, a few people tweeted it out. Um, but LaFleur said the same. That was like, that's, that was my thought exactly. When he came back, and when he came back and played well, I thought, wow, this guy, this is going to be huge if he can stick it out through the season. And what a, what a gutsy move for a guy whose career is, you know, 99% over. And uh, you just got a huge check, and he could have just walked away with it. Yeah, I believe it was following the loss to the Bengals. Um, the SNY post game with Bart Scott, um, Willie Colon, and Connor Rogers. Willie Colon said, because they were talking about the offensive tackle position, and he said, Hey, thanks for the 20 million, but I'm on a boat in regards to Dwayne Brown. And I'm so happy that that is not the case. That is not his mentality. Dwayne Brown is exactly what you said just come in, put your head down, go to work, even at 37 years old. And that's going to set an example. That's going to trickle down throughout all the other four offensive linemen at a minimum, they're going to see how mm-hmm. he works and they're going to mirror that. And they're going to, they're going to just play hard for him. Even if it's not specifically for him, they're going to see it and they're going to want to mirror those actions. Sorry, my dog's playing with the toy. Um, yeah. I think, so- uh, I, and I, I think, I don't know if you heard uh Samini's podcast this weekend, he kind of threw in a note that, that Woody Johnson was not happy at all. Like you, you handed this guy 11 million or whatever, 9 million, and he lasted six practices, mm-hmm. and then it looked like he might be out for the year. And you know, I mean, listen, you, we can say these guys are billionaires all we want, and that nine million isn't a lot to them. It's like, well, it's not a lot to them, but it is still nine million. You know, like absolutely, I can't, I couldn't imagine handing someone nine million. Being, oh, it's a shame he's not going to play. You know, <laughs> you, yeah, on want, to the next one. You'd want some answers, you know. And uh, so, yeah, just I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I, I, I wanted to mention that. I, I, I didn't know if you heard the Samini pod who. Uh, he does a good job. I, yeah. I actually enjoy the pod quite a bit. 
Yeah, I think he gets a lot of flack, but his podcast does have he gets a lot way of, too much flack. Has a lot of insider information that I think goes unnoticed because of how much shit he is getting. So yeah, but he, yeah, and Dwayne, he's gotten he's gotten it for years. I don't understand yeah. it. I don't. You know, he he will from time to time be a little bit snarky or whatever. Sure, but um, uh, you know, as a whole, like Jets fans are just so we're so defensive sometimes because it's been so many years of bad football. Um that the number of times sometimes I just laugh. Like I see fans lose their mind at something Samini says that I think is just, he's just telling you what happened, you know? And since only bad things happen, they associate rich Samini with bad things. Yeah. You're always talking, you're always saying bad things about T and it's like, cause they're always doing bad things. Like he has to report what the team is doing. Exactly. And he may from time to time, like I said, every now and then I'll throw in a snarky comment that, I, mm-hmm. that doesn't bother me. But I'm like, oh well, that's gonna get people riled up. Like that's yeah. <laughs> those people that don't like you are screaming right now. And that's I think he does it for a little bit of fun too. But I, you know, I have no problem with Samini. Yeah, when you when you've been around as long as Samini has, you see too much and you see too much bad football, you're gonna throw one of those in there every time. But yeah, yeah. I think everybody people need to lay off a little bit. But <laughs> defensively, again, game plan, probably the best game plan by far at this point. Yeah. Obviously, we were playing with the lead. So it was easier to pin our ears back, get the the front four going. Um, I'm not sure. I believe it was Seth Walder. It could have been somebody else. Uh, posted a analytics chart of front four and pass rush. And the Bills and the Jets were kind of in a tier of their own as far as we blitz with four, but we get home a lot. And they had it in an elite front four category. And I thought that was interesting because we've – at nauseum said, this is not what we want to see from our pass rush. We want to see a little bit more. So did this fit the description as to what you wanted to see? And is this sustainable moving forward, even without a 20 point lead in the fourth quarter? Well, I'm glad you worded it that way. Cause I wanted to cover, cover this, not just as it applies to the pass rush, but yes, this is, you know, the, the best we've seen them all year. I, I said, I think it was just a few, you know, a couple series into the game. And I thought, you know, Carl Lawson has already looked already looks better than he has at any point this season. Like, I thought he looked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Finished the game with seven QB hits, which is insane. Um, JFM at five. But that this win, and not to get away from the defensive line focus of it, but the, 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 the biggest things um, in terms of, uh, you know, as Robert Sala says, right, like the, the view from 30,000 feet or whatever, um, the, the big picture – is ter- in terms of the whole roster, you know, I, I talked I talked after the last win about how I thought it was a bigger win than the Cleveland win because the Cleveland win was more exciting but not a sustainable way of winning football games. Like it was yeah. basically a miracle. Um, then the, the next win was more exciting because or it was was big because it was Zach Wilson methodically bringing the offense up and down the field, throwing the ball a couple times when the defense knew he was going to throw it. This one sort of takes the next step. Now this one is big because. When you win using your blueprint, like when you when you put yes. your team together and say, what is our identity going to be? We're going to be a team that runs the ball and gets after the quarterback without having to bring extra blitzers. And that's exactly what the Jets did on Sunday. And when you start, that's when you sort of, when you start seeing the vision come into place, like mm-hmm. you can talk and talk and talk about how you're going to win games, but the Jets hadn't really won a game like that yet. Um, and But now they did. And yes, the defensive line was fantastic. Quinnen Williams had himself a real, another really nice game. Um, I haven't looked at the snap counts. I'm not sure. You know how many how many Bryce Huff played? He looked uh, 
I think he, he had 16. I can check. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say I thought he almost doubled his count, and I think he had nine the previous week. And I think that might have had to do with uh, Jermaine Johnson's injury, oh, but yeah, still, he, he, needed, yeah. he needed more. Yes, 15 was his total. Okay, 22%. yeah. So, yeah, so this was the first win we've seen where it played out the way – I mean, you know, maybe you expect to see a little bit more, you know, production from Zach Wilson throwing the ball, but it's a win, and at, you know – we all saw the phone call, Robert Sala to, to Zach Wilson saying, you know, we're going to lift you up. We're not going to ask you to lift us up. Um, although you be, there better be some Sundays where he does the lifting. Absolutely. But I get what Robert Sala is saying. Yes, like they, he, doesn't sure. want, he doesn't want it to have to be Zach. They want to be able to w- get sort of put together team wins where, you know, you let the run game work and let let the defense do their job. Let, let the front four get home or at least get pressure to make the secondary's job easier. And they and they we saw sort of a little bit of both this week. I think the secondary helped the, the D-line quite a bit. And I think we saw some plays where the D-line helped the secondary and they just kind of worked in unison. So that's why this win to me, rookie quarterback or not, you know, and that's you know that's another thing with the Teddy Bridgewater thing. The Jets had the quarterback 16 times. Teddy Bridgewater is not Michael Vick. You know, as I said earlier, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's he's a he's a great guy. I love uh, Teddy Bridgewater, the person. Like everything you hear about him is like what a great dude he is, classy dude. Um, but seeing them win a game exactly the way they plan on winning games is like, okay, now, now it's coming to life. You can talk all day about how you're going to win games. And if, if that never starts happening, you, you know, it's almost like if you, it wouldn't be luck, but a perfect example to me, you know, that old, I mean, you probably don't even remember this. This is, you know, but when the Ravens had that sort of, you know, top five defense of all time when they won the Super Bowl with Tony Banks and Trent Dilfer at quarterback. Like, yeah, they won the Super Bowl, but that team hired Brian Billick as their head coach because of what he had just done in Minnesota as an offensive coordinator. And they were supposed to, oh, we're going to have this great offensive mind. And they, they go out and win a Super Bowl beating everybody 6-3. And it's like, well, you'll take it for sure. Yeah. you know. But, but you know Brian Billick didn't take that job and say, yeah, we're going to win a Super Bowl by by giving up three points a game. Like you can you can sort of turn out to be better than you expected in one spot, but this was the Jets being what we hoped they would be. And if you see more of that moving forward, it just builds credibility in the locker room with the fans in terms of the GM and the head coach. Yeah, exactly. And I've heard Sala in press conferences multiple times break down quarter by quarter what they're doing on the sideline in terms of a game plan. So obviously the first quarter you have your set game plan, your scripted 15. And then into the second quarter, you're learning still more about what the opposing team is doing, still trying to implement your game plan. And then third quarter is all about the halftime adjustments and who makes the adjustment to the adjustments, because obviously both teams are going to switch. You can't just say, okay, they were doing this in the first half. So if we do this, we'll stop it because they're back in their locker room saying, okay, we didn't do this well. So how can we open this up? So it's all about adjusting and then adjusting to the adjustments in the third. And then the fourth quarter is obviously just, using what you've already known and learned about your t- the opposing team and what they've been doing to just pin your ears back and go. There's no more, I don't have to slow foot a, a play because I don't know how this play action is going to develop anymore. No, I'm the backside defender. That's a play action look. I'm going to yep. go get it, just like Sauce did on the first play. So these are all things that, and it's going to take time. Obviously, we love to give these coaching staffs zero time to implement their game plans and what have you and and this is the first time it actually came to fruition on both sides complimentary football is what they've been preaching um so so you just you have to hope that this is the 
standard going forward, like Rob Sala said in the victory speech in the locker room, make it normal. Make this game plan a normal game plan. It doesn't have to look the same every time, but whatever you set out to go do, make sure you do at least 75, 80% of that game plan, because if not, you're going to be adjusting on the fly. You're never going to get back to where you need to be. And you're always, you're never going to be competitive as a team. So that that's what I love to see was the game plan, the execution of the game plan. And like you said, Zach doesn't have to be a, a game manager. I hate using that term. Right. But if there's a week where he doesn't need to ball exactly. out, yeah, from time to time, on your back, play to play, not game to game. Like that third down run for the touchdown. Put your team on the back for that play. Don't carry that in and go hero ball the next drive and think you're doing too much. So I think it was a perfect mix of game plan, execution, and collected thoughts and everybody just staying calm in the moment and finishing out a win. It was 19 to 17 in the fourth quarter. We scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. That is yeah. unheard of. The Jets, I have a stat here that I'll try to pull up about fourth quarter. The Jets are first in points in the first quarter with 58. That's unheard of. Like we're 11th in points per game scoring as a whole. So again, unheard of for our offense. So everything just kind of gelled together. And I don't care about the other team circumstances. Like we said at the top, we've been there. We had, we were the better team for now two weeks in a row and for the fourth quarter of the Cleveland game. And I'll take that at this point of the season when there's people like Brady Quinn saying we're going to be 1-8, and 0-9, oh whatever. Exactly. And the last thing I wanted to bring up on defense, Quinn Williams, that guy's a dog. He absolutely stiff-armed Tyreek Hill into the turf. He might as well have just stayed down on the play, Tyreek Hill. I, I tweeted yeah. it out. I said, those in t- income taxes must be a bitch because <laughs> they hurt on that play. Yeah. How, how you were at home. So you probably jumped out of your seat and yelled, but how, how exciting was it to see Quinn Williams do that specifically to oh. Terry kill? It was great. It was great. You know, and I don't, I don't, uh, funny enough, the, the taxes thing doesn't bother me as much. The, right. uh, you know, when he when he was asked about it and, he, you know, the who like who are the Jets, the Jets? you know, like, nah. like get, I, don't, I listen, I get a little bit of jabbing players from time to time in teams. But I don't know. I, I just I thought that was uh, not I guess not the classiest move. But listen, guys don't have to be classy. Not everyone's classy. I get it. Um, You can say what you want. But um, I thought I that was just that was that was a nice little bit of poetic justice. You know, to see him get thrown to the turf that way. <laughs> um, I think the Jets, you know. We we've talked about Quinton before. They're they're gonna have some some major decisions to make with him in terms of uh, his contract moving forward. But it's I'm glad he's made that decision t- difficult. You know I'm glad he's put the Jets in a spot now where they have to think. Okay, all right. And you know as I said earlier, is the owner. You know and, and we've talked. Do you go to your owner and say we? You know Mr. Johnson, we'd like you to pay this guy 18 million a year to play 65 percent of the snaps. You know that's 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 a big ask. I think. Um, you know, we, we want you to pay one of your part-time employees more than all the full-time employees. Um, so it's, um, or the full-time employees around the league, I should say. So I'm just, I'm glad he's playing the way he is. He's been an absolute monster. Um, I do, you know, well, we, we won't even get into that. I, who's it? I think it may have been, it may have been on Samini's pod where he was talking about it. And I get these just the, history shouldn't matter with this stuff. But man, you just think, God, every time we give out a big contract, it, it, it feels like it blows up on our faces. But uh, Quinnen doesn't strike me as a guy, you know, he's not a Mo Wilkerson. You know, you're not going to see him mail it in right. once he gets paid. 
Um, I think Quinnen's a, a guy who's going to keep going the way he's going and um, hopefully get his brother back this week and, and let them, you know, roll together in this defense against Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the snap count thing because for once, I think somebody, I don't know who it was, I'm not going to fault or, you know, say any praise anybody, Sala or Ulbrich, but somebody decided to play this starting defensive line a little bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. 65% for Franklin Myers, 70% for Quinn Williams. Finally, we're there. Rarely Hopefully it stays. 64% for Rankins and 73% for Lawson. So Lawson was 49 out of 67 snaps. So that's that's a, six, a substantial jump, excuse me, from what we have seen. And it showed. Obviously, they were able to take their seatbelt off like Aaron White Cotton is. And they took over this game. Obviously, they were playing with the lead towards the end, but they weren't always playing with the lead. It was a very close game. So please just play these guys 70%, even 65-plus, because this is ridiculous now. And, yeah, Quinn Williams might have to back up the Brinks truck to him and his his wife's house. And and 16 hits. You played everybody, and you get 16 quarterback hits. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Franklin Myers and uh, Lawson had 15 pressures, just the two of them. Miami's defense had three. So I don't care who your quarterback is. If you're getting hit that many times, you're probably not finishing the game at 100% health. And on the opposite side, your other quarterback is standing upright, clean in the pocket, making good passes when he needs to. So it it was a winning formula all around for the Jets. Mm -hmm. I I think that's a good time to transition into our our Packers preview because this is going to be a hard test. Their quarterback is not Tua Tungvaloa. It's not Teddy Bridgewater. It's not Skylar Thompson. Hell, even Jordan Love might be better than some of those guys, but it's Aaron Rodgers. Back-to-back MVP. He's cerebral. He has enough mobility that he can make you pay outside the pocket. He's not going to gash you for big runs but he will stand back there, make the quick throws, mitigate your pass rush. They have a one-two punch at running back. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, um, very similar to our one-two punch. They're a little different schematically in how they use them. A.J. Dillon's more of a heavier back, so he's inside the tackles as opposed to Brees Hall. But I think they're going to try to get them going. I listened to the Packers coordinators' press conferences instead of the Jets this afternoon, and somebody asked specifically about getting their running backs going just like we did last week. And they said that will be an emphasis. They need to use their backs more. Obviously their wide receivers have never been great other than Devontae Adams. And he's now gone. They have two rookies and dubs and Watson. Uh, Both were senior bowl players that I saw up close. And I, I had a lot of good notes to say about both Dobbs was a great fourth round or fifth round pick for them. And their offensive line as a whole, I think Eldon Jenkins is their AVT type. He can play all over the offensive line. Um, They have David Bakhtiari, but he's still on the shelf. Um, A bit of a weird situation going on there with his injury, but their offensive line can get after it. Um, What do you think about this offense that probably hasn't played up to its potential so far this season? They just dropped the game in London to the Giants. And then they elected not to take their bye. So do you think that could come into play with the Packers maybe being a little tired coming back from London and their offense might not be what they think it should be at week six? I mean, you hope so, right? You hope that that, that long trip it mm-hmm. probably makes the week feel a lot shorter coming all the way over from London. And um, that that run game, that Green Bay run game with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones are going to, you know, I would imagine this is the game they're looking at 
as as the one more things get going for them. Aaron Jones is at six point four a carry, which is kind of crazy this late mm-hmm. in the season. Um, yeah. You know that that you might see that over the span of a couple games, but I think that's going to be the most in, interesting part of this matchup because, as a lot of people pointed out, you know while the Jets struggled against the run this week with Miami, they did we did see a lot of three safety looks, and it, it almost looked like the Jets were conceding the run on some plays just to avoid giving up the big play to to Waddle or Hill. So mm-hmm. I think the Jets went into that game saying, look, they're, they're going to get their chunks. They're going to get some yards on the ground. We just want to avoid the 80-yard the, the touchdown, the 70-yard touchdown to the to yes. the big play receivers. Um, and now, now you're playing Green Bay, where, as you just said, promising young rookies, absolutely, but they don't have Tyreek Hill and, and, and Waddle. So now this week, do you say, okay, we're going to clamp back down. We're going to, instead of that extra safety, we're going to have a linebacker out there and <clears> – <throat> And we're just going to let uh, Sauce and DJ Reed shut down these receivers because they're certainly good enough to do that, um, you know, as promising as these young guys are. So I think I think we're going to see the Jets, if, if he's healthy, I think we're going to see a lot of Quincy Williams this week. Um, and by the way, we haven't we haven't given credit yet to Quan Alexander, who was also a monster last there, week, yeah. another big game for him. So I think oh, maybe yeah. you see, yeah, I think maybe you see a lot, a lot more, um, a lot more defensive calls with an, with an extra linebacker on the field and pull or pull that extra DB off and go with your backers up front. And if you can shut down that Packers run game, which I think should be the focus because I think the Jets DBs are good enough to shut them down in man coverage, um, especially, you know, they're, again, the, the guys you would expect to be your your, your bigger your big-time guys to, on the outside. So, yeah, I think that the, the Packers – inexperience at wide receiver is going to help the Jets focus on the run. And that's, and I'm not saying the Packers aren't going to get their yards on the ground. They, I think they will. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elton Jenkins, he's an interesting guy. He's, you know, I think I said a while back, we should start because um, you don't see a lot of people call themselves out for their, their bad draft takes. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm, I love holding my own feet to the fire. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not one of these guys that tweets out dumb stuff and then, Oh, I'm going to pretend I never said that. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I poke fun at myself for supporting Mike McCagnan because I did. Um, uh, plenty of draft picks in the past that I supported, but um, like Elkton Jenkins was a guy who I, wa- I he was Mississippi State, right? Yeah, he's a Mississippi yeah. State guy. And I watched a couple of his games, and he just he looked like a guy, not like a guy that quit. He he didn't look like he was a whistle to whistle guy. Like he would oh, okay. he would get a block, but the second the play was more than a couple yards from him, he shut his engine down. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, and I say it all the time: you're only watching two or three game, games per guy. Yeah, maybe I picked a couple games where he wasn't 100. percent I don't know. I just know I was. I said I was like, I don't want that guy because he's a good player, but he keeps shutting it down once the play is, is is away from him. Like I want that dude who I can see 15 yards away still blocking his guy into the into onto the you know into the opposing bench. Like that's that's what I want. And so Elton Jenkins, I was like, I don't know if that guy's gonna make it. I don't know if he's if he's got the uh, the motor for it. Turns out he does, and I was wrong. And that's you know. These things happen, but yeah, he's a really good player. They do have some questions on that O line, but I think that we're going to see them try to establish the run against the Jets because I don't think they're going to have much choice. I don't think the receivers are going to be uh, as big of a threat as they. I mean, later in their careers they will be. I don't think they are right now, but I think Reed and Sauce will will have a a solid day, um, and I think it's going to come down to how well the Packers run the ball against that Jets front. Yeah, I, I'm glad you did mention. Quin- Quincy and Quan, because we do need to give Quan his flowers. He played, I think, 92% of the snaps, all but yeah. four or five. So it was him and Mosley out there, like we've seen in the past with obviously not a solid defense, but with defenses of recent history, I think Greg Williams liked to do his two linebackers and 
95% of the snaps. They're just going to stand out in the middle. So, yeah, I think definitely going more base 4-3, especially if they, they're going to use both their running backs at the same time, just like the Jets did with Miami. I think you'll see a lot of that. We, we, we didn't address the obvious one. Their brother is the head coach. Michael Flores' brother is the head coach, yes. excuse me. So our offense and their offense is going to look very similar. If you see the same formations and the same motions and the same setup plays, that's all because that's their brothers. So obviously it's going to look like that. Obviously Aaron Rodgers brings you a different element than Zach Wilson. I don't think they do as much of the RPO stuff, like the long mesh handoff stuff. I think Aaron Rodgers does RPO stuff because of how quickly he can get the ball out at different arm angles. But Zach Wilson brings that more mobile element to it. So it's going to look a little different, but it's generally the same thing. And Michael Flores is eight years younger, so he's learning from, from big bro the whole time there. So I thought that was a good point to make. Um, defensively, the Packers have struggled, but they have so much talent, including their front four. Um, they do an odd front defense, so three defensive linemen and two linebackers. Um, they usually use Rayshon Gary and Preston Smith as their outside linebackers. And then Kenny Clark is the one to watch in the middle. I know they have a couple other guys in there. Um, I believe Tadero Slayton from Florida is another one that's up and coming for their defensive line. And they also have Kingsley Anigbare from South Carolina, the edge rusher that they got this year. So they he have a, a – He was one of those guys. Every time I talked about how deep this class was at yeah. edge – he was one of those guys that I thought was going to go later. And I forget where he went, but I think he did go later than I expected him to. Um, yeah, he was like that. a second – I think he was a third-round pick for the Packers. And then the like yeah. second round was like Ebicady to the Falcons. Yeah, and they took those two guys I kept lumping together. Ebicady I liked yeah. more. But yeah, Ebicady if- and Egbari were guys that I kind of started watching around the same time. Mm-hmm. And I came away thinking that Ebicady would be a first-rounder. Um, yep. And Egbari would be probably, probably mid-second. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, but could end up being a guy who produces like a first rounder, um, mm-hmm. fun player to watch in college. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to see them make any plays on Sunday, but I am interested in, or, you know, in, in Igbari, uh, but I am interested in watching him. Yeah, exactly. If you told me he was a top 50 pick in the draft, I wouldn't bat an eye because I had him up there with the, the Epicades and stuff that went in the thirties and forties. So yeah, he's, he's definitely one that I'm going to be watching. And then, I think their most talented section comes in their secondary. Um, Jair Alexander is their main cornerback. They also have Eric Stokes, a second-year guy out of Georgia. And then Rasul Douglas, who's kind of had a resurgence career from Philadelphia. He had, I think he led the team in picks after being a waiver claim last year. And he had yes. like two or three pick sixes. So he was, was very really clutch for them. I the Jets didn't grab him when he I had know, yeah. last year. Because he was a Joe Doug. He was drafted when yep. Joe Douglas was there. We the had Jets corner had issues. Corner. Yep. Yeah, that, that was like a no-brainer. I actually, I think I remember saying in the preseason that he's a guy the Jets should give up a pick for if the Eagles were looking to move him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, give up a day three pick to get the right. guy. Um, yeah, so that that's I feel like that was you know I don't know maybe they didn't like him in the scheme, but mm-hmm. I, I thought he would have been a no brainer pickup last year. And and something I thought that was interesting, like I said, I listened to the Packers coordinators press conferences. Their defensive coordinator Joe Barry said that they don't want Rasul Douglas playing in the slot. Jair Alexander has been dealing with some uh, injury issues early on in the season, so they've had to put Douglas in the slot. And Joe Barry said that they're really not trying to do that. They would rather put Jair Alexander in the slot. And most likely that means against Garrett Wilson. So what I'm thinking is Corey Davis and Elijah Moore on the outside versus Eric Stokes and Rasul Douglas. 
I'm okay with those matchups. Obviously, Garrett Wilson doesn't have an advantageous matchup against one of the best cover corners in the league in Alexander, but I think the perimeter will be the area of weakness if you have to pick one for the Packers. I know their linebackers do a great job with Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker in the middle. So do you think this is going to be a game where they, they do take some deep shots after having five passes that went 15 yards down the field? Do you think this is the game that they might take some more deep shots? Yeah, I think anytime you're going to match up with a, with a team, like I said, that was why I was surprised we didn't see more of it against the Dolphins because you felt like they could create some mismatches and they, they didn't uh, or they didn't take advantage of it. And I think that this week against the Packers, especially going against Aaron Rodgers, even though the Packers offense has been struggling, you have to figure Green Bay is going to find a way to put points on the board and, and kind of force you to have to make some plays on offense as well. Yeah, and I was just checking the comments for the first time tonight. Andrew Gabrielson asked, which player should Sauce match up on the outside? If I'm picking just based off what we've seen so far this season, I think it's a clear no-brainer like no Romeo Dobbs. Now, if they go with the size matchup, I think they might do it to Christian Watson. But at the same time, I think Sauce always has to be on your best corner or at least a majority of the time on your best corner. I'm not going to say, you know, roaming with him every single play. That's just not what the Jets do. But Salah said they will match, which, which means man to a side. They'll match to a side. So that means one side is zone, possibly DJ Reed, and then Sauce and whoever in the slot, Michael Carter, will have man to the other side. So I can see a lot of that situation. But if I had to pick one receiver specifically, it'd be Romeo Dobbs. What about you? I think uh, I, I think that, that they're both going to be good matchups. But, you know, coming out of North Dakota State, I really did think that Wilkins was going to be a, a, an interesting player. And, and because of the size matchup, mm-hmm. like two, you know, tall. And he, I mean, that dude can run. That, you know, that the guys his his size don't tend to run that fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward. That's the matchup I'm looking forward to. I don't know how the Jets will match it up because I think – because Dobbs is a pretty big guy too, isn't he? He's not like uh, – 6'2", I think. He, yeah, he's not as big as uh, as uh, Wilkins on the other side, Mm-mm. but um, he's still a big dude. But I think I like uh, I like the sauce matchup better. Um, although I think we, as you said, I think we'll see them. You know, they'll spend time covering each guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sauce will see Dobbs a little bit as well. Um, who honestly I I liked as well, but I I I didn't think he would sort of. I didn't expect to see him start this quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And he's 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 playing well for them right now. Yeah, down at the Senior Bowl, like I mentioned earlier, they were both there. They were both on the Jets uh, team, so I got to see them all uh, two two out of the three days. The third day, we weren't allowed inside the facility because of the rain. But um, Romeo Dobbs looked like the better route runner and the better receiver in terms of hands. Christian Watson just did all the other things better. He was so much faster in and out of his breaks for his size. Everybody was enamored with that. Oh, a 6'4 guy getting in and out of his break on a short 10-yard comeback. It looks so nice. And I started to think that that's when the hype kind of built for Christian Watson to the point where he was a top 40 pick or top 45 pick for the Packers. And then a guy like Romeo Dobbs, who does a lot of the same things well, but just doesn't have the full size and speed component slipped out down the cracks to the fourth or fifth round and the Packers were able to pick him up and plug him right in. So I think it's definitely a matchup to watch. Um, We have one more question here from the comments and then we can move on to our draft prospects. Another question about our defense comes from Mr. Tally. 
do you think the Jets D-line can keep the pressure on Rodgers? Um, personally, I think so. Um, we talked about their offensive line just a minute ago and how good they can be. There are still some younger players on that offensive line. I believe Sean Ryan from UCLA is a rookie that starts on their offensive line. So there are going to be some individual mismatches. I don't think anybody can stop Quinn Williams right now. And that's the that's the best route to Aaron Rodgers is right up the middle. If Aaron Rodgers gets around the edge and you can have him step up in the pocket, it's a nightmare because that just means that the, the wide receivers are 5, 10 more yards down the field. Come right up the middle, right on Aaron Rodgers' lap, force him to make a bad throw. And I think that would be the the recipe for success in terms of pass rush pressure. It'd be straight up the middle interior with Quinta Williams. How do you feel about it? Yeah. Having said earlier about how the, the, the O line or the D line and the, and the secondary worked hand in hand last week. Um, Aaron Rodgers is another one of those guys where that has to happen because the ball comes mm-hmm. out so quickly. So if you're not, if you're not, if you don't have tight coverage, he's gonna he's gonna find the guy who's open and the ball's out in under two seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on damn under a second and a half, really, a lot of times with him. Seriously. So it's it's gonna come down to the secondary making it difficult for Rodgers to make those quick throws. And if the secondary is able to do that, I think you will see the D line get home. Um, and I think I, I think I still have the Dolphins on the brain a little bit. I think I called Christian Watson, Christian Wilkins. Um, oh but yeah, yeah I, I didn't I, pick that up. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I just I played it back in my head. And I was like, I think I said Christian Wilkins, who's of course the, the DT for the Dolphins. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, I think that's the way to get to him. You, you got to press those receivers, and you, you can't give him any separation because if you do, um, or you can't allow quick separation because if you do, he's a guy that that's going to pick you apart. And that was that was a thing that you know, speaking of those receivers, um, that was one thing that that jumped out to me about Watson was for his for for a guy that size for his frame I felt like I when I you know it's tough that's the problem with the small school guys right is finding the film mm-hmm. um but from what I did see he he was able to and more so in Mo, in mobile his ability to, to make those to be quick and in and out of his breaks a lot quicker than you'd expect mm-hmm. for a guy his size and create that quick separation so yeah. that's something to keep an eye on because that's that's how you get to Aaron Rodgers and make him hold the ball that that little bit split second longer than he wants to exactly and Again, I'm going to be redundant, but I come, I do the game plan preview every week. And although it's an advantageous one for the Jets, it's still not one that I feel comfortable about because of the passer. So Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed versus Romeo Dobbs and Christian Wilson or Watson, you got me doing it too, will be, will be one of my uh, matchups to watch in my preview. Absolutely. Um, all right. I think that covers it. Last thing I would say about the Packers is their special teams for the recent history the past two to three years i know they had a coaching change and got rich bisaccia from the raiders he was the interim coach when they fired gruden um he's now their special teams coach but um it's still not a great unit they were bottom of the league last year in almost all measures um but this year they're a little bit better but i think that would be you know the the underrated hidden door number three where the jets have a matchup that they can take advantage of because our special teams does look very good uh, Braxton Berrios had another long return after the safety. I think it was 45 yards or something like that. He almost got to midfield or just past midfield. So special teams is definitely going to be a, an area to watch against the Packers where the Jets could take advantage. All right, moving into the 2023 draft talk. Um, again, just like last week, I brought some names to the table that have been doing very well recently. I'm not exactly sure how well they will translate to the NFL or if they will even be prospects at the end of the season. Some still have eligibility left. Some are seniors on my list. Um, I brought three names, but I'm going to let you kick it off on this comment here or on this topic here. 
Um, yeah, uh, a guy that, you know, I, I said last week how, you know, we're watching so many guys that there are some players you really, really like, and then you just – they they get mm-hmm. lost in the shuffle and you, you kind of – you realize, wow, we're four or five games into the season and I haven't really watched this guy yet. Um, last week I'd, I'd mentioned Zay Flowers uh, from Boston College, but um, another guy who could have easily been on the list and he blew up. And I, when, when I saw it was a, a late game and I was going to get to watch it, I was pretty pumped. Um, Zach Charbonnet, the running back from UCLA. Yes. Um, really nice combination of size and power. Um, you'll find plenty of – he's one of those guys. You'll find highlights of him running through guys. You'll find highlights of him running around guys. You can use him on the goal line. He catches the ball. You know, from what I've seen, he doesn't get a ton of targets. But when he has been targeted, he catches the ball well out of the backfield. Um, just really thick lower half. He's going to be a tough guy to bring down at the next level. And um, he played last week, and he absolutely blew up. And uh, only only two guys for you this week, actually. Um, and I, I, I can't remember if we talked about this guy last year. I know we talked, you know, about Texas receivers quite a bit. But uh, Jordan Whittington is a guy who I don't think is getting talked about enough. And I was kind of reminded of him. I was watching that Texas game this week. And, uh, man, he had a beautiful diving catch. And I just remember thinking, uh, you know, he was, again, Xavier Worthy is the guy I've been sort of hyper-focused on with Texas yeah. because from the first game I watched, he was just a monster. He pops um, off on you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I left him out last week when I when I said to you um, during the offseason or early, very before the season when I said, you know, my top three or four receivers were were Addison, uh, Josh Downs, and I, I think I mentioned Butte, but I think Worthy was the guy I left out. Yeah, yeah. From those, I, and I think it was, and, and I, I were it was it was Worthy, Addison, and Downs, who were the three guys I was most looking forward to watching this year. Even though, of course, they wouldn't all be draft eligible. Um, but yeah, Addison's another guy who makes plays for that Texas offense, and I love the way the Texas the the way those receivers were blocking last week was phenomenal. Um, so, you know, they, they make plays through the air and they, they do the little things. So, I mean, Texas is a sort of an emerging team at the moment. I think, I mean, just imagine when Arch gets there. Um, so just, uh, yeah. fun, fun team to watch, you know, the, the, the running back that lot, you know, uh, all of the Marvion Overshawn, I'm not even sure. I feel like when I watch, I didn't see him much last week. And I was, I remember thinking, is he hurt? Because yeah, me neither. flipping back and forth between so many games. Yeah. It's um, tough. And he, yeah, when I'm down to one game, sometimes I just grab the laptop and I pull up a game from last week to watch, you know, to watch players. So I'm always watching multiple games. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, I remember thinking, like, why haven't I seen Demar Demarvion Overshone yet? Um, I'm actually was I was going to look into that and see if he's dinged up. Yeah. Um, before I get into my comment or my my prospects, we have a comment from Jets Gang. He said, "Free safety linebacker, and I'm going to assume offensive tackle next year in the draft in that order." Um, so you know that, that means the Jets are going to draft a defensive lineman at whatever pick they have. So that's fine. <laughs> um, my, I now have two prospects to bring to the table because I changed mine last second. I had Roshan Johnson, the running back, the backup running back for Texas. And then I switched it last minute and didn't tell you to Jordan Whittington. So, oh, geez. I'll, so I'll go, I'll, I'll go I knew you were Whittington. doing, I knew you were doing a Texas running back. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, let me, do, let me do the receiver. I really like that guy. Yeah, I, I pulled the change up on you. So that's that's, and I'm glad I let, let you go first for that reason. Um, Whittington, though, had what I had down two ten or six six one two fifteen. Excuse me, are his measurements. Um, this year he has twenty six catches, three hundred fifty four yards, and zero touchdowns. Um, but last year he had twenty six catches, three hundred seventy seven yards, and three touchdowns. And that was with an injury mid season. I believe he played three or four games and then missed a bunch and then came back for the end. And in that time period, um, their head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, um, offensive guru, said 
that Jordan Whittington was their best wide receiver pre-injury. So for those first three or four games of 2021, which I will go back and watch now that Jordan Whittington is popping off like this, he was the best receiver Texas had. And I'm excited to see that because they didn't have Quinn Ewers or any of the, I mean, they probably had Hudson cards still, but they don't have that top prospect guy that everybody's, you know, watching Texas for. So I thought Whittington was good. You mentioned it, the blocking. He, um, it reminded me of the Corey Davis interview from the couple days ago that we brought up last week. It's a mindset. Blocking is a mindset. And Jordan Whittington displayed it. Mm -hmm. They had a little tunnel screen that went for a touchdown. And it wasn't a touchdown if Jordan Whittington doesn't do his job and block 15, that, that 20 yards down the field. I had in mind. Yeah. So, so he's definitely going to gain the eyes of a lot of scouts for that element of his game. But like you said, he had a diving catch across the middle and he's just, he has done that from time to time. You go to watch guys like Worthy, um, Bijan, Roshan, the quarterback, whoever, and Whittington pops up. He just kind of shows up on the screen. He's not really, you know, a flashy guy. Like you said, Worthy, we, we said popped off the screen to you, but Whittingham or Whittington, excuse me, gets the job done. And I think that'll definitely boost his stock come draft time. I believe he is a senior too. So it's one of the best times because he can come out in the all-star games, senior bowl, shrine bowl, and really put out, his best version of himself. Um, yeah, I think Whittington, I'm, I'm looking at Texas uh, team website. They have him listed as a junior. Um, I wonder if that's COVID. He might be a junior. Yeah, that's that's would the thing. COVID kind of messes all this up. We don't know, yep. You don't know who's what. but And it does look like uh, Overshone, I might go back and watch, rewatch that Texas game tonight because the NFL game is not very good. Um, no. And check Overshone. <laughs> he had uh, he had six tackles in that game. He just he oh, has okay. we haven't seen the splash plays from him this year. Um, not yeah, a lot of. I, I was gonna say he didn't pop to me enough to say wow. Okay, Overshone's really yeah. doing well this game. So, all right, uh, my next guy, like uh, bouncing off your guy Charbonnet, I stick with the running backs as well. Um, this is a guy that we've talked about off air. I I kind of took him, and you took Charbonnet. We were mutually one and one. Uh, Israel Abanacanda from Pittsburgh. He's 5'11", 215. I probably butchered his last name, but that's okay. Um, this last no, it's, week... It's a band of candor. That's how you that, say it. That's what the, the broadcaster said, so I wanted to say it how he said it, just in case I can blame right, him yeah. later if it's wrong. <laughs> but a band of candor, yeah. He ACC record last week, 320 yards and six touchdowns. I believe the six touchdowns is the record, not the 320 yards. Um, that's his fourth 100-yard game of the season, and he's had a touchdown in all but one game. Um Week one, he had a receiving touchdown, not a rushing touchdown, but every other game he's had a rushing touchdown except for one game. And last season, I was looking at his stats on Pro Football Reference. He only had one game over 100 yards rushing. So a complete 180 turnaround to have four games out of six with 100 yards rushing. So Abanacanda is doing really well. He has 129 rushes, 830 yards, and 12 touchdowns, which are all career highs for him at this point in the season. So – you stack on the other half of that season and his numbers can really be inflated to look very good for his career. Uh, add 60 yards and a touchdown through the air. Um, my two biggest uh, points as far as the film um, vision to find the hole. And then once he finds the hole, he just goes through it. There's He's no so patience. So and I'm not going to say there's no patience, but that patience to a no hesitation is, is not. Yes. No hesitation. Exactly. He just goes. And I think that's, 
we saw with Jameer Gibbs a couple weeks ago from Alabama, that same type of thing, and he broke 270-yard runs. So Abanacanda's kind of of that same mold of vision, quickness, speed, combo. <clears throat> yeah. Not going to make guys miss a lot. He's not like a, a, a bulldozer, which the next guy I'm going to get into is. But he can definitely get the job done from a speed perspective. So I like Abanacanda. My second running back, um, another big school, Michigan, Blake Corum. Small, 5'8", 200 pounds, but just because he's small does not mean he plays small. He's not afraid to lower his head, absolutely just go through the offensive line. A lot of times he ends up in free space, and he'll still make you miss. I I mentioned he's 5'8", so he's small. You can get hidden behind the offensive line a little bit, use that patience, find the hole, and go. And if need be, Blake Corum can do the dirty work. I don't want to say he's like Maurice Jones-Drew, but he's of that type of mold where he's not afraid. That type of build, though. He, he, yeah, contact is welcomed in Blake Corum's in, in his mind. So this year, 118 rushes, 735 yards, and 11 touchdowns. Um, he had 950 yards and 11 touchdowns all of last year. So just like a Banacanda, we're halfway through the season and they're matching their totals from last season. So Obviously, that has to do a lot with the workload and who else was in the backfield with them last year. And I'll do a little bit more research to find out. Obviously, Hassan Haskins, I think, was taking carries from Blake Corum last year. Yeah. Um, but these guys, now that they're the workhorse, they're absolutely balling out. And I think it's time that running backs get brought into the discussion. The Jets have, have a running back that they drafted early and got you know poo-pooed on for doing it. And I think it's not the case anymore where there are these tough physical backs that – can be a workload, but if you get them in a committee like with Brees Hall and a Michael Carter situation, they're just going to do great things. So running backs, I think, are kind of making a revival in the draft world, at least in my perspective, I think they are. And I think it, this these two guys, and obviously Charbonnet, he's been a staple for the last two or three years at UCLA, who undefeated, by the way, kind of crazy. Um, I think these backs are, are going to make people think twice about draft ranking and positional value a little bit. Yeah, I, I think we're we're seeing a little bit more, and I, I've for years I've been I've said you know don't waste premium picks on running backs because we you know you you see it all the time you see teams you know when the Pats were winning Super Bowls they you know they never had a great back um, or at least early on you know they were like Corey Dillon and Antoine Smith who were nice players mm-hmm. yeah um, but they're not sort of these game breaking highlight reel making guy I mean well Dillon was early in his career of course but later on with yeah. the Pats um, not so much. But, um, yeah, you know, the Brees Hall thing, I was – I think that's something I was more receptive to and I didn't freak out because they had so many early mm-hmm. picks. Uh, you know, if they only had, like, one first and they used it on a back, I probably wouldn't have been thrilled. But right. it's like – was you their fourth pick. Spots. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you addressed edge. You addressed corner. Like, you addressed premium spots before you took the running Wide back. Out. yep. Yeah, exactly, which is absolutely – you know, have no issue with that at all. Um, and I, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see because I think with the – you know – Obviously, the NFL isn't what it is. You don't have guys carrying the ball thirty times a game. You, you want that. You want that. That dual. You want a, a two-headed monster back there. Everybody does, and it's you know it's easier to get one if you, you take one early on and and get yourself a a game breaker. And I think there are some really good backs coming out. Banakanda, I tweeted about him a few weeks ago. I think I actually started a thread about him too. On on there, there's a draft form on Jet Nation. Okay. Um. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, yeah, the forms at JetNation.com. I think two weeks ago. I started a, a, a thread about him and said, like, you know, keep an eye on this dude. He's not getting enough. He's not getting talked up enough. Um, and I've, I can't remember the name of the backup because there's a uh, 
someone said to me in there that his backup is is better suited for the pro game. Um, so I went and watched some of his his carries, and uh, he, I mean, he looks. I I forget his name now because it was the first time I've watched him extensively. Um, but man, I mean, big strong guy. One touchdown run, I think it was against Virginia, Virginia Tech, like dragging like four guys with him. Okay. So, and I I remember I knew I didn't know the name, but I knew because I watched a ton of Pitt last year because I loved the D line and I loved the Banacanda, mm-hmm. um, and and I loved Addison. Um, but I remember thinking at one point, like I was focused on a Banacanda, but at some point I remember thinking like, wow, they're actually deep at running back. Like, cause there was a game he didn't play much and they, the running game just kept going. And I remember thinking they got some really good backs at Pitt and they, they do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, my first exposure to a Banacanda <clears throat> was when I was watching Kenny Pickett, obviously, and then Jordan Addison too, but yeah, you just you're watching one guy and all of a sudden and this happens, you know, both of us do this when we're watching prospects. You watch you start on one guy and then by the end of the the game you probably have like four or five names written down of Which okay, now yeah, I got to go back and rewatch this guy because I'm seeing some more talent than at first I mean, I surface think level. Yeah, I think a lot of my favorite guys, that's how I that's how you find them, you know. You you know uh I I I talked a lot about uh I mean, several games. Yeah, it happened to me several times last year. You're just watching one guy and somebody else pops, and you're like, wait a minute. Um, and, you know, you write uh, Jacoby Winman. He was, you know, I was I was watching yeah. that game to watch a Utah State receiver, and Winman has like 17 tackles. I write this guy's name down. I yeah. And I think they got blown out, but I think he had a sack last week against Ohio State or a half a sack. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what happens, man. You watch a million games. Guys are going to pop out that you, that you weren't intending to watch, and and then you go back and watch them. Exactly. I think that's the the beauty of the draft cycle because you hear all the big names from the big market outlets of like, you know, I don't want to, you know, like the draft network and these guys put out names and that I'm not saying yeah. they're wrong, but that's not all the names out there. And I think once yeah. you do it for yourself, like you and I do, and you have that freedom to, okay, I'm not looking at this team specifically. I have the freedom to look at all these teams. You find tons of guys that could be that diamond in the rough, even if they are a fourth or fifth round guy, you could find a yeah. guy that, you like more than the consensus and Hey, if he pops off, you just look real good. So I think that's the beauty of the draft, the draft cycle. Obviously, you know, you're going to get the hype hyped up people that don't do anything and vice versa. So it's, it's a good time. I think that's what makes it interesting for us. And as long as the jets keep doing well, I'll probably watch less draft stuff, but at the same time, it's, it's fun to, you know, turn off the, the jets stuff, even like, even after a win, turn it off and just watch some college kids and yeah, that, see what they what can do doing. because this is the future of the league. Regardless if they play for our team or not, <laughs> you're going to see these guys in three, four, five years, and you're going to be like, wow, I remember this guy. I wrote him up, and these were my yeah. thoughts. Like I go back to Debo Samuel all the time. I wrote in my scouting report, he's, he could be a running back, even literally out of the backfield of running back, and yeah, that's kind of what happens. So it's, it's nice yeah, to just it's hang your it's hat fun. on these little tiny things, make you feel like you know what you're doing, and – at the end of the day, we don't know shit, and we don't know what we're doing. But well, we, listen, we, we I say all doing. the time, man, the, the best GMs in the NFL hit on fifty percent. Yep. You know, the best. Give me the, 50%. the guys. The guys that the guys that fans want to build statues for. You know, I think Ozzie Newsom even said, if you look at his last three or four, not his last draft, but like the three before that, they weren't good. Like this is Hall of Fame guy, and you get these you get these GMs with these draft classes. Bill Parcells. Here's a quick stat for you, Dylan. I'm throw this out at you because only, only I have it written down here because I mentioned it to Fabini while I was talking to him because um, I, I've always sort of viewed him as one of the, the best value picks in my time as a fan. 
He was a fourth rounder, 111 overall, and was a very good player on some deep run playoff teams. Um, Jets were actually really he, – they only had one Jets-like year. His, his final season when he was injured, they went 4-12. and 12. Other than that, I don't know that he had more than one or two losing seasons. Um, but So here's the number I, I threw at Fabini. I, I looked this up a few years ago. Um, let me make sure I get this right. Okay, so from 1995 to 1999, the Jets drafted 45 players because they had they did a lot of wheeling and dealing. They had some drafts where they had like 12, 13 picks. So from 95 to 99, they drafted 45 players. Four of them got a second contract out of That's 45. So bad. And he was one of them. And he, he was the only right. offensive guy. It was Ray Mickens, Marcus Coleman, and Jason Ferguson. When Jason did you say he was drafted? What was his draft slot? 98-111. Fourth round, pick 111. Yeah. Max Mitchell's exact draft slot. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's amazing. There you go. I, I, my eyes lit up when you were talking, completely off topic, but we have to do this before we go. We forgot this a couple weeks ago. I need yes. a score prediction. I need a score prediction. What's happening in Lambeau? Are the Jets going to four and two? Are they going to be 500? What's up? What do we got? What's your prediction? I I can't. I think they can win this game, but I can't bring myself. I'm not at the point where I can say the Jets are going to go to Lambeau and beat Aaron Rodgers. Um, but you know what? I'm going to say it. Screw it. I'm going to say it. I like Let's the way go. the Jets match up against these receivers. I'm sitting here thinking about it. I'm like, listen, you're not playing the ghost of Aaron Rodgers. You're not playing yeah. the old Packers teams. I like the way the Jets match up against this team. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be a snowy, frigid day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to say the Jets win. Um, give me uh, give me the Jets 20, 23-17 Jets. Okay, yeah, you went a little bit lower. And I, I have these exact same thoughts. All these matchups that just look advantageous on the Jets' side, and then I just circle back, and I'm like, God damn it, they still have number 12. And I feel like that's going to be the factor. If we see MVP Aaron Rodgers – it's probably not going to look great. Yeah. If we don't see MVP Aaron Rodgers, this game is 100% winnable. I don't think there's a game on this on this remaining schedule with the team we saw last week outside maybe Buffalo that isn't winnable anymore. We I think that narrative needs to be put to bed a little bit. Um the Jets are going to be in games that are quote unquote winnable. It's not going to look the prettiest every single week like we talked about, but right. they they have winnable games outside of maybe Buffalo and I think this is another one. Um I'm going to go a little bit higher scoring. Uh, kind of reminiscent of Sam Darnold's game back in 2018. I believe it was his, the end of his rookie year. Probably the best game of Sam Darnold's career still to this point. Um, I'm going to go 31-28 Packers. It's going to be a shootout. I think they can match touchdown for touchdown. That's not something I've had confidence in the Jets even this season saying. So for me to you know say 28 in a loss, I'm okay with that because I think it'll look a lot better. And if it's you know, a one score loss that we can hang our hat on with a lot of, I don't want to say moral victories, but, you know, matchups that go our way. I think 31 to 28 is a, a sufficient score and it could very well be 31, 28, the Jets and Greg Zerloin's kicking a last second field goal to win it. So I think that's where we're at as a team. The fact that the Packers are scared of the Jets, they're talking in their locker room about, oh, we can't lose to the Jets. Like we, we, we are only going to be nervous if we lose to the Jets. Well, Shit, that's a real possibility. Well, you could lose to the Jets. I'm not going to say, you know, it's a guarantee, but the Jets aren't a – they're not the doormat anymore. We're ascending. Even Dan Hansis, who does the power rankings, and he's very, you know, timid about where he ranks the Jets. He put them at 17. 
17. Yeah, and I, I think new territory for the Jets. I th- I think the big thing is that the fact, and I, I mentioned it earlier, the fact that it's a passing league, and they they have two stellar stellar corners that are gonna. You know, this is why we're not seeing these games like we had last year. And you know, again, we're like twenty minutes over. We can't go all night, but the the last two weeks, and again, that you know, it helps that they haven't played the greatest quarterbacks in the world. The safeties have been much better. The tackling from the safeties. I meant to mention that Jordan Whitehead last week. I said during the game, much better version of this is the guy when they signed him, and I said he was a good tackler. That's the guy I saw, not the guy who wasn't tackling well the first few games of the season. So the safeties have been better. The the corners are obviously upgraded. So the the, the secondary isn't a, a, a cakewalk anymore for opposing offenses. Yeah, exactly. I think it was a complete turnaround. People needed to be patient. Sala said four new faces in the back end. And hey, a couple weeks later, it turned out to be the truth. So I think we all just need to, you know, relax a little bit when things don't look the prettiest. And that being said, I don't know if this game's going to be the prettiest, but I think the Jets should be in it till the last second. We're, we're going to hope, obviously, that they are. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers, we, you know, you can't, you can't stop him if he's going to un- unload and go for 304 touchdowns. You just, you can't help that. What you can help is stopping the running backs, getting pressure, especially on the interior and making it close in the fourth quarter. Because once that happens, it's anybody's game. You saw the giants do it in London. I I tweeted a couple things to you um, about Aaron Rodgers, where there's some tells that the defense should key in on and take advantage of. So with that being said, Everybody, thank you for tuning in. We really appreciated all your comments, all your questions. We love it. We'll get probably around the bye week, we'll probably do more of a interactive, exclusive podcast where we're just answering all your questions, all your comments, concerns about any players you want. So uh, thanks thanks for listening, obviously. Um, for Glenn Naughton, you can follow him on Twitter at AceFan23. You can follow me at DTerriman. Obviously, follow us at JetNation, at JetNationRadio. Um Glenn always puts out good content on the site. Check it out. I do the game plan article and the injury report every week. So we're always pumping out new content. And as the wins keep stacking up, it just makes it a lot easier to want to put out this content for you guys. So we're super appreciative of everybody that tuned in. Let's go Jets. Until next week, let's put Aaron Rodgers on the ground. Have a great night, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.